I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket at dr-gen.com. Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg is a mother of three and a 20-plus year pediatrician, board certified, who has called all of her amazing advice and made a series of five-minute videos on everything from feeding and sleeping to safety and all types of parenting issues, which basically every parent out there can use, especially in the middle of the night when you can't reach your pediatrician. So this is like a must do. And she's offering a discount to everyone with code PIP20. PIP20 20 is the code to get 20% off of all of her modules. So definitely go to dr-gen.com and check it out. It's also on a link in my website too, zibbyowens.com. I'm excited to be here today with Richie Jackson, who's the author of Gay Like Me, A Father Writes to His Son. He is an award-winning Broadway film and TV producer whose most recent productions include Harvey Firestein's Torch Song on Broadway and Showtime's Nurse Jackie. He and his husband, Jordan Roth, were honored with the Trevor Project's 2016 Trevor Hero Award. He currently lives in New York with Jordan and their two sons. Hi, Richie. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad Lee Carpenter is sort of like, she's an author. My first guest, she has like connected me with so many other authors, including you. So She's the first person I told the idea for the book after I told my husband. No way. And, and her immediate enthusiasm for the idea really gave me confidence to go and write it. So briefly describe what the book Gay Like Me was. So I was originally sat down, I had finished producing a TV series for seven seasons, and I had sat down to create a series about, I wanted to do a series about the difference between being gay when I was a teenager and what it's like to be gay now. And I wrote plot outlines, and I came up with characters. I thought it would be really funny if an older gay man found himself living with a 20-something gay, and the hilarity ensues. And just as I was trying to figure out this show, our 15-year-old son told us he was gay. And everything I was trying to put in the pilot was happening at our dinner table. And I thought, oh, this is not a TV show. It's, it's my real life. And he told us, it's no big deal. Our, my generation thinks it's not a big deal. And I thought, oh, I need to tell him what a big deal it is. Being gay is the best thing about me. It's the most important thing about me. And it's been the blessing of my life. And I wanted to share that with him so he wouldn't undervalue what a gift it is. And then in 2016, Donald Trump was elected and declared war on gay people. So I also had to warn him what it takes to be a gay man in the right now. So that was the impetus for the book. Wow. I have to know right away, what was it like when you gave your son this book? Well, I finished it right around the time he started college. So I gave it to him just as his professor gave him Aristotle. Oh, my God. And I think he felt he better read Aristotle first because he had to do it for class. So, Wait, did you give it to him in this finished form or uh, did you give like, I have, pages? I, I haven't given him pages. I, you know, I said to him, when I, I asked him permission to write it. Mm -hmm. And he said yes. And I said, I'm going to teach you how to be gay. And he said I know how to be gay, Dad. And so as things would come up, I would talk about them. I, I, he didn't see pages, but sort of subjects or ideas I had we would talk about. And a lot like parenting lessons, you sort of lay it at, at their feet and they pick them up 
when they're ready for it. So the book's there for him, and he'll he'll read it when he wants to. Now he loves when I ask him to come somewhere with me. He'll say, it's called Gay Like Me, Dad, not Gay With Me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Wait, but so he hasn't read the whole thing cover to cover? I don't believe he oh has. Oh, my gosh. No, I know. I'm, I think he'll start to read it as he starts to hear things. And even now he said to me, you know, when you say, I don't think it's a big deal, it sounds like you're saying, I don't care. Mm. And so he's already picking up what I'm talking about with the book. And I said to him, no, I don't think that's what people are getting when I say that. They think the visibility and the exposure that the gay community has now has made it so you can think of it as not a big deal. They don't think you don't care about it. They just think you're living in a a better time than I did when I was 18. I don't happen to believe that. I don't agree with that. And that's where the tension in the book is. So interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In the book, you write this to your son. My greatest wish for you was for you to be gay, for you to have a gay life, for us to have that central and key part of ourselves in common. Being gay is a gift. It's freedom. It's the gift of possibility. So I was wondering, well, would you have been disappointed to have had a a straight son? And like, do you think your ability to connect with your child is related to a shared sexuality? So my son says I would have been disappointed if he was not gay. But the real disappointment would have been if I wanted him to be nothing like me. How could I have parented with any self-esteem if every day I was praying, please don't be like me, please don't be like me, please don't be like me. It is the blessing of my life to be gay. Why would I not want that for him? And it more is... I wanted him to have the gift I was given, not so much that we had to have that commonality so we'd have more in common. I just wanted him to be chosen, just like I had been. And, you know, we all have expectations of our children when we're, when we're expecting. That's what expecting means. Mm-hmm. You, and your ideas of what your life will be coalesce instantaneously once you know you're going to have a baby. And my desire was for him to be gay. Of course, we all know that the only parenting lesson there is, we can figure out the feeding and the sleep schedules and all that. The only important parenting lesson is you parent the child you have, not the child you thought you'd have or you thought you wanted. So I would have obviously parented and loved whatever child I had but I did have a strong desire that he be given the gift that I have been given. So interesting. So let's go back to when you were talking about how he thinks being gay isn't a big deal and you are concerned about that. A lot of people, not a lot of people, some people might argue that what activists have been trying to achieve is just what your son is saying, that there is no difference and trying to get rid of some of the big differences among everybody, sexuality, religion, whatever, is what we're striving for. I don't think we want to get rid of our differences. I think that, you know, we celebrate our uh, similarities, but we should revel in our differences. That's, everybody should be able to do that. You know, I don't think that the entire country, 4.5% of the people are LGBTQ. So that's not a defect. That's not worthless. That's chosen. We get to look at the world from a completely different point of view than most people. And I think, why would you diminish that? Why would you say, oh, that's just matter of fact? 
or I just happen to be gay, or gay doesn't define me. To me, those are diminishments. And when you diminish yourself, you break your heart. And I write in the book that you're going to love, you know, it's how you love, it's how you create, it's how you crave, it's how you're going to be governed, it's how you're politicked. So it is a major part of who we are. And I don't want him to break his heart. I don't want him to diminish himself because then he's doing the job of our adversaries. They want him to do that. Interesting. In this, not to keep jumping around here, but in this Playbill article, you said about parenting, instead of saying it takes a village, you said it takes a Greenwich <laughs> village, which I loved. So tell me, tell me more about that. Well, do you think it takes different, a different, do you think it takes something different to raise a gay child? Well, I, I, I think partly it takes a village for all of us, right? Yes. And because all of us have a covenant with all the other adults in the world, when we send our children out, and we're not with them, our covenant is somebody else will help take care of them. Somebody else, another adult will will be, look after them if they are in trouble on a bus or in a park. Or So we all have this covenant that makes us this community to help raise each other's children and protect them. But as gay parents, we have an added burden. We traveled with his birth certificate everywhere so that Nobody could question our parentage, either at an airport or, God forbid, in a hospital. And, you know, just a couple that just had a baby in Michigan and brought the baby to a pediatrician, the pediatrician refused to treat the baby because it was a gay couple. It's insane that this is still happening, um, but anyway. Right. So we do have that extra burden, and then we have to come out as a same-sex family at all time. Our son has to come out as having gay parents. Even if he wasn't gay, that is something he has to come out about to friends, to teachers. But I think the community is important for all of us to remember, not just gay people, because we have to protect our children. We have to take care of them. And, you know, I take a big responsibility in that when you have a play date at your house or when you're in the playground or... Anywhere where there are children, you know, if their parents aren't with them, you want them to know they could, you know, you'll be there to help should something happen. I mean, how many parents in New York City have told their children when they go on the subway loan, you know, who to go to if you need something? You know, my friend said, I always told the person to go to a cop. And I said, well, I always told my son to go to a woman, you know, who looked like, you know, if she had a child or something. Mm. So I feel a big responsibility with other parents. And let's talk about why you think being gay is a gift, because there's a lot in your book that shows some of the struggles that have come with it and some of the stuff you've had to put up with. And even, you know, from coming out to your own father to things at school to, I mean, you know, there's a lot. Can I say some of the words I was called at school? Yes. uh, Yeah. No, it's, look, it's extremely challenging to be gay. It takes daily vigilance to protect yourself every single day as a gay person. I talk in the book about how every gay person has a gay guard, and I have not in 36 years of being a gay adult let down my guard. I always know who's around me, 
who can hear me. I don't kiss my husband goodbye without making sure that on the street, without making sure the coast is clear enough. I had a gym teacher when I was in fourth grade. He heard I was in chorus and he told all the boys to jump on the faggot. And that was the first time I had heard that term from my gym teacher because I had not thought anything wrong with it. I thought I was special. And so it is harrowing and it is takes a lot of vigilance and it can be exhausting that vigilance, but it's still worth it. You know, and that I don't think that religions have stigmatized us. Our government has battled us time and time again. We have survived a plague. We are bullied as children. We disappoint our parents. That all doesn't happen against us because we're just defects. It happens because all of those people trying to diminish us know that our power is in our gayness. So that's what I talk about in Gay Like Me. It is my creativity. It's my, it's my worldview. It's my empathy. It's the way I love. Everything good in my life is because I am gay. And I don't think it's just being gay that my book is a permission slip for anybody who knows there's something inside of them that's special and needs permission to hit the gas on it, who needs to be told, yes, make that central to your life, invest in it and have faith in it. For me, it was my gayness. And I did that and I never scrubbed it off. I never diminished it. And I think I have the life that is the result of that. It's really beautiful. It's a great thing to say. Yeah, um, you know, I, that's why I do not want people to say, don't make a big deal of it mm-hmm. because I am ha- my happiness is because I'm gay. Everything good that I can celebrate, my children, my creativity, my husband, our life all stems from that well of gayness. So I, I'm not interested in making that smaller. And even though it comes with the struggle and the vigilance, you still want your son to have that as well I, because of all the I, benefits. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we all, every. The struggle is the proof that it's so worth it. And I didn't want to let him leave our house not understanding the struggle because we kind of kept it from him Mm because we didn't know he was gay when he was younger. We knew we had to make him feel safe and loved. Mm -hmm. So I didn't share with him all the dangers that Jordan and I feel on a daily basis or that I went through as a young person or the plague that I experienced because I didn't want to scare him. But then when he told us he was gay and he's about to go off to college, I was like, there's a lot he doesn't know. There's a lot he doesn't understand Mm -hmm. on how to keep safe and alert as a gay man. And that's what I wanted to warn him about. And you even put in this whole like primer on all the acronyms of the different dating sites. I was literally like sitting in my playroom with my little guys like <laughs> playing on the carpet nearby and I'm reading all these terms and I'm like blushing like, all right, um, I don't know. I feel like I like shouldn't be reading this with them so close by or something. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, so prevalent. Okay. I know, I know. I mean, yeah. good. Now I know, you know. <laughs> But, okay. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. <laughs> I, I am well equipped well yeah, now. Yeah, you know, I was, <laughs> I was definitely more concerned about my parents reading the stuff about a sex than I was my son. Because mm. I've never wanted my son to think I was fully formed. I wanted him. I've always been clear on things I was challenged by, things I wasn't good at 
things I didn't understand. I wanted him to feel loved and safe and that I was constant, but that I wasn't, I didn't know everything Mm -hmm. and that I wasn't good at everything. And when it comes to sex, I mean, sex is a tightrope. You have to be vulnerable and you have to protect yourself. And I didn't understand that when I was younger and I was deeply hurt by my first experiences. And the only way to have warned him would be to be as specific as possible. Otherwise, it would have just sounded academic to him. But it takes like a lot of bravery. I mean, I don't think I could write a book called Straight Like Me and detail my sexual experiences to my children. I mean, that like makes me want to die thinking about <laughs> doing that. Like I could never do that. I'm like, I like get embarrassed kissing my husband around my kids, you know, I mean. So this, you know, I, a lot of people who have read the book have said how brave I was. And I ran home to Jordan and I say, what did I write that I shouldn't have written? <laughs> because I wrote with pencil and paper and it felt very intimate when I was writing. And I thought, did I forget other people were going to read this? Did I kind of lull myself into this idea that it was just putting my heart on paper and nobody else would see it. And my husband explained, he said, I think they're saying vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had one shot. He's leaving home. And I had this incredible opportunity to share everything I know, I've learned, everything I did wrong. And... All of it made sense all of a sudden. All of the things I went through that were so hard and so difficult and so demeaning and all the people who have tried to diminish me my whole life, all of it made sense in the moment that I thought, oh, now I get to warn him as a gay man and I get to show him the potholes and I get to impart what I have learned. Everything I went through made sense now because I get to do this. So I had to be as specific and... It wouldn't have worked, not to be honest. It just, no. parenting doesn't work if you're not honest. No, I know. But there's, I don't know, there's something, I don't know, like uncomfortable about like talking about sex with your kids and I don't know. How about with strangers who are going to, you know. I would uh, rather talk about sex know. with a stranger. I would rather write an article about it that I knew everyone in the world except my kids would read than talk to, than write an article about myself you or know, my kids. Yeah. I don't know. So that's what I'm saying is, bra- I mean, it's like not brave in a bad way. I don't think yeah. there's anything you should have taken out. It's just. I don't know, that like parent-child ick factor, something, I don't know. I, I, I just, nobody teaches gay people how to have sex. Less than 7% of LGBTQ kids get inclusive sex ed. So we're literally erased in our classrooms. We're basically being miseducated. We're being taught to be straight. So we go out into the world and we fumble and we make mistakes. Some of them could be really dangerous and deadly because nobody has taught us to protect ourselves or protect our mates. And so I, I had to tell him everything. And the only way to do that would have been, here's where I was hurt. And here are the places where I am still in pain over those early assaults. And you also, you wrote an article called be the person someone can come out to. Right. Which I also thought was really interesting because obviously a lot of people will be going through that and how can you be the type of parent who is ready for that and knows how to handle it the right way? So like, what advice would you have there? Well, my first advice for a parent (laughs) who might have a a child who is gay is to read gay like me. But no, my what I would say to them (laughs) is 
congratulations. I'm thrilled for you and I'm thrilled for your child. And now you have a decision to make. You can be your child's first assault, their first obstacle, or you could help raise them with gay self-esteem. And I laid out in my book how I did it for myself because I was not educated, but I laid out, I learned gay history, not because it's a responsibility, but because it helped place me in a group of extraordinary people and it made me feel less alone. And then I immersed myself in literature, in gay writers who taught me how to be gay and taught me the gift of otherness and how otherness can be used as a positive and art and dance. And by doing that, I learned who I was and how extraordinary it was. So I would say for a a parent of a young LGBTQ person, if you can do that for them, then you are going to have an extraordinary experience with your child that you never imagined. And it takes one adult to help save an LGBTQ youth's life. Wait, you have, I have these statistics. Hold on, I wrote these down. 25% of young people who didn't have at least one accepting adult in their life reported attempting suicide in the past year. Right, and so 40% didn't if they had one accepting adult. And the extraordinary thing about that figure is the adult does not have to be a parent. So if all of us can watch our words, because words matter, and if we can, we can make our young people around us feel seen and feel heard and not judged, that can save a life. And it doesn't have to be our own children. That's very powerful. Yeah, it's extraordinary statistic. Oh my gosh. Wait, so did you really say that you wrote this book with pencil and paper? I did. I think you slipped that I in did. So I had never written a book before. So when I had the idea, I sat down with my computer and I said, well, this feels like work. It feels like email and it, I couldn't do it. I had no process and I fumbled around at the beginning to find the process. And then when I took a pencil and paper... I found it flowed out more easily because I just felt more vulnerable. But speaking to not having time to read, my entire adult life, I've carved out the first hour of my day to read. No way. It has been my, since I was in college. And when our first born son was, when he was born, I started to wake up an hour before he would get up to still preserve my hour of reading because I wanted that time to sort of gently start my day. I wanted to start my day with words immersed in creativity. And I was doing that at 5 a.m. So by 6 a.m., I had already done something for myself. And I was, I had gently moved into a new day through art and creativity and, and words. So I've always done that. My evening bedtime is designed so that I can get up to read at 5 a.m., and then when I started writing the book, that's, that time became my writing time. So at 5 a.m. with pencil and paper in my living room, I wrote the whole book. How long did that take? It took about a year, I'd say. Wow. And I haven't read any books because I, I, <laughs> I not only didn't have time, I couldn't read other people's. It was a strange experience, so I had to give that up. And what was selling the book process like? So I was, I think, probably very lucky. Lee Carpenter had... Mm-hmm taught me how to write a book proposal. And 
I wrote the book proposal, and then she said, okay, now you have to write a table of contents. So I, I wrote the table of contents, which I had 10 chapters and descriptions. The book changed since then. And then another friend of mine, Ariana Huffington, asked me what I was working on. What, what am I up to? And I told her about the book, and she said, you have to meet my book agent. And so I, I met her book agent, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh at William Morris, and she read it. And she immediately was enthusiastic about it, gave me excellent notes on how to improve it. And then she sent it out, and Jonathan Burnham at Harper immediately responded and said, I'm crazy for this, could we meet? And he bought it while I was talking to him. Wow. I feel very blessed. Ariana Huffington and Lee Carpenter are sort of guardian angels. It's amazing. It's been extraordinary. And how does your, so you're married, you're married to Jordan Roth, right. who is, yes. has his own success in the world and everything. Yes. So what's it like being successful yourself and then managing someone else with, I know this is an off topic now, but I'm just curious, managing like a relationship when both of you are so successful in your own fields with some overlap, of course. Right. Like how does, how do you find time for each other? So one of the things I think we do well is really take good care of each other and invest a lot of time in taking good care of each other. And we spend a lot of time together and we want what the other wants for themselves. So his enthusiasm for the book is extraordinary. And I know couples who don't have that. Mm -hmm. And I talk about in the book about, talk about how to love somebody. And I think what Jordan and I do well is we love each other the way each of us need to be loved. And by doing that, we've healed each other. So it's more like because of the love and because of the foundation of our relationship, each of us feel emboldened to go and try to explore and expand our vows. We pledge to expand the canvas of our lives. And it's because we have that foundation of love that we each get to try new things and, and experience things. I thought it was so interesting, and not to keep talking about Lee. Lee, I hope mm-hmm. you're listening, because this is like all about you now. Lee Carpenter's essay in the November 2019 Town and Country, which was called For the Roth Family, Life is About the Right to Choose Your Own Story. And she talked about how when all of you are considering different projects, you think, will it make people feel? Right. Tell me a little more about that. Well, you know, Maya Angelou says, people won't remember what you do or what you said. They'll remember how you made them feel. And that's always been very moving to Jordan and I. But my mother's going to call me if I was supposed to be Jordan and me. (laughs) She corrects me on that all the time. But if I had written Gay Like Me without the thought of how I wanted people to feel, it would have been an academic book. I would have said being gay is the best part about me, and they would have glossed over that. I had to make, I had to have it have an emotional arc. I worked very hard on figuring out how to take the reader from the beginning and build a feeling so that they can open their mind. Because if you make people feel first, they may think differently or at least be open to a new idea. And that's why it's important to make people feel because they'll, they'll feel more connected. They'll feel more alive. They'll feel like they belong. And they might just look at something differently. Wow. So now that you've finished this book, it's 
being launched out into the world. What do you want to do next? Has this changed? Are you still going to do that pilot you mentioned at the beginning? No, I think show? I've done. I, I, this is, this uh, is I it. I've this is, it. I've, this is I've, crossing uh, that off the list. I have an idea for another book. Okay. And I was sort of taking notes on it. And but Meg Wolitzer said on your podcast, just write eighty pages, and if you throw them out, it won't ruin your life. So I'm taking her advice that I heard on your podcast. I'm just going to start writing and see if I can get 80 pages and then see if the idea has legs after that. Oh, I'm so glad that something from the podcast uh, has helped you like uh, that. I mean, my, she's amazing. She's amazing. Oh, she's amazing. Fantastic. Do you have any parting advice to aspiring authors? I know you've sprinkled a lot in throughout our conversation. But. Well, I think since I've only written one book, I'm more in need of advice than <laughs> actually to give any. But... I've always had this vague fantasy that I'd like to write a book since it's my favorite way to get a story, much more than television and theater and film, which is funny because that's where I spent my career. But I think what held me back is I always heard writers and writing teachers say, write what you know, write what you know. And I thought, well, I don't know enough to put in a book. I don't know anything that well. And then I wrote what I loved. And it poured out of me. I love being gay. I love being a parent. I love being in love. So what I would say to an aspiring writer, write what you love because it will come out easier. And also, I wasn't ready for how writing a book takes up occupancy in you and it's all you think about and you're constantly turning over phrases and words and ideas. I was carrying out a pencil and paper everywhere in case something came up. I had one by my bed and bolted up in the middle of the night. So you have to love it because it's going to live in you in a profound way for the period that you're writing it. Excellent. Well, thank you, Richie. This was so fun. Thanks so much for coming on. I have time to read books and uh, for sharing your story, not just with your son, who I'm sure will appreciate it when he reads (laughs) it, but for everybody and everybody's son and all the different types of parenting there and everything else. (laughs) Well, thank you for uh, having me and for shedding a light on books. It's really an extraordinary thing you've built. Oh, thank you. Really beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books was sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket by Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg, dr-gen.com. Enter code PIP20, PIP20, for 20% off of these can't-miss modules that will make your parenting life so much easier. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Hold up. 